Robert Showens, the Decorative Arts Editor of Architectural Digest, and welcome to the AD Esthete. Moroccan style has been popular for decades, even centuries. That magical combination of arches, colorful tiles, and shining walls of polished plaster. But there's so much more to Moroccan style, especially the style of Marrakesh. And nobody understands that legendary city better than Marianne Loom Martin. Interior designer, tastemaker, writer, and consummate hotelier through her legendary Janan Tamsna Resort, her new book, Inside Marrakesh, Enchanting Homes and Gardens, published by Rizzoli, opens the doors of multiple houses and all across the style spectrum, from sleekly modern to bohemian chic. Marianne has been a friend of mine for some 20 years, and her style is one that inspired me from the moment that I met her, and what partly inspired me and my family to move to Marrakesh not long after. So sit back, relax, and explore the city's best and most inspiring rooms with us. I hope you enjoy the show. There have been a lot of books published about Moroccan style, Marakshi houses, um, the personalities of that city. But this book is different and it gives it away, the title alone gives it away, Inside Marrakesh. And this is really, as you told me, the first time there's been a book that is actually written by an insider who knows all the places to go and all the people to talk to. So it's a different kind of perspective. So in fact, what I wanted to do was to pay tribute to this extraordinary city where we are so many foreigners living, mm-hmm. where we are, have all chosen to live there because all of the people I'm talking about are people who are not sent by their government, they are not sent by a company. It's really a free energy to decide to have a house in Marrakesh. Mm-hmm. And uh, what is also quite extraordinary is that the Moroccan style, Marrakesh style, is so diverse. It's at the crossroad of so many influences. All the houses have a strong sense of style, of a place, mm-hmm. and at the same time, they're all totally different. So this is what I wanted to show, and this is why it's inside Marrakesh, because it is the Marrakesh I know, I've mm-hmm. known for 35 years now, And it is about this extraordinary, um, I would say, fusion style, which is possible in Morocco without ever betraying the essence of the country where we're living. How how is that possible? Because I find that to be incredibly interesting as a design observation, that it still is Marrakesh, no matter what you bring to it. Well, the, ch- the houses I've chosen are still Marrakesh, but you mm. have some houses I have not chosen where you would not know where you are. Right. I think that what is extraordinary here is that, in fact, we always forget that Morocco is at the heart and the essence of so many places. People forget that, you know, the Arabs stayed seven centuries in Andalusia. 
people are crazy about Spain, people are crazy about Mexico, people are crazy about colonial architecture in Central America and in some states of the US, but they just don't they forget or they don't know that it's all Moroccan. Mm. Without Morocco, this would not exist. And so the Moors stayed seven centuries in Andalusia. And when they were kicked back to the African continent, right. it's at the same time that Christopher Columbus went on to, in quote, discover America, not really mm. discover because there were some people living there. So all of the people from there, you know, you cannot erase seven centuries of cultural influ influence. Mm, mm. So I think this is just like a circle and that people don't always think about it. But Morocco is in the subconscious of many, many people. It's part of a creative subconscious. Right. And um, I think that one of other reasons um, why it is possible here is that life is made of contrast constant contrast. I mean, we all have a lot of contrast in our life, mm. whether we analyze it, we realize it or not. And Morocco is a place of peaceful, constant contrast. You are in the Medina. You don't know where are, what are behind these doors. It could be a shack. It could be a palace. When I moved to Morocco and met you for the first time, 2003, I think it was, 2003, yes, yes. And I'd only been to Morocco once before, and that was to write about you for the New York <laughs> Times. Yes. And I remember being absolutely mesmerized by the fact of these streets in the historic Medina, the walled city, where they were very few windows, lots and lots of doors, but none of which gave you any indication of what was behind them. That sense of secretiveness of uh, things that are meant for the family, not for outsiders, things yes. that are interior, and it, that the interior world is very important. Yes, it is like this in the Medina. It is also like this in the Palmeret, because in the Palmeret, in the palm grove, you, you can guess amazing estates because there are some walls which go on and on and on and on, mm. and, it's, and it's a wall of around a private property, and then suddenly you're in a very, very humble village. So right. it's this kind of very peaceful contrast, which is, which I love, and which sometimes unsettles people, you know? Uh, sometimes it just says, where is, where is uh, the rich neighborhood? <laughs> As it, well, it's, it's everywhere, and it's nowhere. The constant surprise, Marrakesh is a constant surprise. Mm. It's a constant excitement. And um, what I love about here is that after all these years, I'm still not blessed. And I think this is something which is very important. And I think that everyone, all the foreigners who have their house in my book, share this sense of being always surprised and excited about being here, even yeah. after years. Yeah, there was, there, was, there was always, for me, as I'm sure it is for you and, and your subjects, a real sense of daily wonder. Exactly. Now, tell us how you came to find Marrakesh yourself. You know, there's coincidence in life. So in my life, I had two, uh, how do you, uh, in, in coup de foudre, how do you say this? Love at first yes. sight. My husband and Marrakesh. So I'm very lucky because I'm still with both. After all these years. <laughs> You know, so um, 
I came to Marrakesh in December 85. So I'm from Paris. My family was, was also living in Paris. And my father is from Senegal, so West Africa, and my mother was West Indian, so, you know, Caribbeans. And they wanted to have a holiday house, a family holiday house, in an exciting place, which was, would not be as far as their countries of origin. So we looked at a map, and uh, we said probably Morocco is three hours flight, and mm. Marrakech seems to be the, the most fun place in Morocco. And because, so I was a lawyer then in Paris, but I was a frustrated architect. I could not finish my architecture studies because I was really bad in math. And it was very <laughs> frustrating. And uh, I told my parents, well, as you know, I'm a frustrated architect. So if you're serious about this project, let, let me go and look for land and see if we can build this house in Marrakech. But the condition is that I want to be in charge from A to Z. And that's how I came as, you know, scouting. Mm -hmm. I came in December 85 from the moment I set foot on the tarmac and then the airport was like a four bedroom house, I would say. Right, it was a little yeah. airport as it's I remember. Tiny. Oh. Well, and you came in 2004, but imagine in 85, it was even smaller, right. you know? Um, and from the moment I set foot there, I said, this place is for me. Because, you know, imagine December, the, the sky is dark blue. You, you have like the mountains of the Atlas in your face covered with snow, and you have these palm trees in, in front of you and the snow behind, and the palm mm. trees are in the middle of rose gardens. I mean, I was just mesmerized, and I am still mesmerized, you know. So that's how it happened. And then I did a house for them, and I turned the house into a business, and then the business became is chronologically at the origin of every boutique hospitality small business in Marrakech, because apparently there's 1800 now. I was the first one in 89. So that's how one thing led to another. What was the style of Marrakech like then as you were just discovering it for the first time? Well, you know, it, it, I felt I was in Rajasthan because there were less buildings, and mm -hmm. um, much more earth architecture in the Palmeret. And the color, I had been in Rajasthan just one year before for months traveling alone, and I had changed my life. This trip totally changed my life. And when I came here, I felt it's going to be my India close to Europe because India was too far. But I have India in myself. I was probably Indian in another life if, if reincarnation exists. And I just felt at peace here. So it was a smaller city. People were charming. There was like a refinement. But, you know, I was very lucky because I had a friend who opened the doors for me. And when I came for the first time in 85, you had the tourist return rate was like 0.5% mm. because no one was coming back unless people who knew people who showed them the real Marrakesh, the one you have known, because it's all about, it was more even then about knowing people who would open these doors. We just say, you say, you imagine, you can imagine anything behind these walls, but everything seems so closed. So the, average tourist would not get it, would just visit the souk and leave wondering why the place was so famous, you know? 
you're absolutely right. I mean, that that is what they come away with is is the souk, the jamafna, um, and the palm trees. And there's there's so much incredible richness there. And I love that your book takes the city into its sort of attendant parts, the Palmeray, the Medina, the modern town, the gardens. And then you give a, a tribute to Bill Willis, who an American um, who lived in Morocco, what, since the 60s, early 60s, I believe, who really became so enamored of Morocco and Marrakesh in particular, that he created his own version of Marakshi style that holds exactly. really strongly today. Can you tell us a little bit about Bill Willis and how you knew him and what his impact on Moroccan style was? So I met him because the people I knew who opened doors for me here knew him very well. He was, uh, he was originally from Tennessee, mm. very eccentric. People knew that um, you had to go by his rules or his absence of rules. So for example, he was an interior designer, but he was famous for never showing up on time anywhere. Um, <laughs> that was really famous. And I'll just tell you this anecdote of I had, uh, my previous house was in a book and the people doing the book, a writer and a photographer happened to be staying in my house when they had an appointment with Bill Willis. And they told me, uh, we are going to meet him at 10 o'clock in the morning. And I said, well, good luck. Don't hurry. You know, I would be surprised that he's there, you know. And, <laughs> and they said, but it's in his house. And they were British people, you know, British are on time. And I said, okay, fine. And they came back late in the afternoon. And I said, how was the appointment? They told me they waited two hours in his sitting room. And suddenly he arrived perfectly dressed in one of his in in incredible caftans. And he said, hello, I'm Bill Willis, or whatever is left of him. <laughs> <laughs> I compare his influence to the one of Yves Saint Laurent in fashion, mm -hmm. because they were bold. They were bold in dimensions, and they were bold in colors. You know, Saint Laurent would do an enormous bow and Bill Willis would do an enormous fireplace. You know, right, everything right. was, you know, out of expected proportions. And they would mix colors in the most unexpected way and it would work superbly well. So I think that Bill Willis is totally, totally the, I would say, guru Mm. the original guru of what is called the Marrakesh style. Without him, I think that Marrakesh would not be what it is today. Yeah, he's inspired so many people, designers, architects, fashion designers, writers. I know that he really um, was the one, it seems, who uh, brought, you know, Tadlac, that polished waterproof plaster, out of the hammams and into exactly. the house. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and so this is what, you know, is extraordinary about this place, is that you can take something and use it differently, you know? Um, and what Bill did with Tadlat is exactly that. And people can be inspired, you see? So for example, I'm sure that if you had told a local person 40 years ago that they should put Tadlat in their living room, they would have said, wow, this is for Hamas. 
And Bill did it and he did it so beautifully that everybody started doing it, you know. And it's the same thing also, for example, with Popham, you know, who do the, the this American couple. Yes. Who, they do these wonderful tiles. They have been inspired by Moroccan graphism and design, and they turned it into something totally different. Do you think um, that's one of the um, delights of not only Marrakesh, but any other place in the world where outsiders come in, they become insiders, they see the local aesthetic vocabulary, and then think of ways to use it in ways that it hasn't been? Well, you know, I, be, I, I traveled quite a bit, but there are some places I haven't been. But for example, when you think about this gorgeous Pacific coast in Mexico and places like Carreras, it is totally Mexican and nothing else. Mm. You see, you, uh, I mean, at least the house I've seen, maybe there are some mixing things, but the, the houses I've seen, even though the palette of colors can be very diverse, there's not this diversity of vocabulary mm. that we find in Marrakesh. Maybe it is because the history here makes it that, you know, Arab, Art Deco, French influence, Berber, African influence, everything can mix without betraying the history and the culture of the place. Mm. And I think this is why it makes such a difference, uh, a difference. Because you see, for example, I, love, I, I went to Goa in 84. Goa reminded me terribly of Northern Brazil because you know, it was both it's Portuguese. Right. Uh, you have this white church, you have this tropical, like, extraordinary vegetation. I saw beautiful houses, but there was not this diversity of vocabulary also. Mm. You know? So I think that this is totally specific to Marrakesh. And I don't know Fez as well, but I believe that Fez is much more Arab. Mm. That you don't have this kind of, you know, total scope that we can have in Marrakesh. How did you go about choosing the interiors for the book? Well, first of all, except I think that except one family, the Bulgari, and one garden, I know everybody uh, in the book. So it was easier because among all the houses I knew, I knew which one I wanted to, to write about, you know, mm -hmm. and to photograph. And I wanted a diversity of origin of the owners. So you have... Uh, a garden, one of the garden, I don't know the owner is, she's from New Zealand. You have a lot of British houses, some Americans, an Indian house, um, Belgians, Italian, English, mm -hmm. French. And this was important for me to show the international cosmopolitan Bohemian expat community here because you have some grand houses, some houses, all the houses are grand, even if they're small. Some are very bit large and some are, are small. And you have um, two Moroccan subjects because I wanted also to show that there's Mahi Bin Bin, who's a painter. Mm -hmm. And he has, uh, I think, some art at the Guggenheim in New York. And he's very international. And he's a remarkable person. And he's also an incredible writer. He was like uh, the finalist from the most prestigious French literary prize two mm. years ago. So he writes books at an incredible level and he's 
painting is, he's, you know, really an achieved painter. And then there was another painter called Yamu, and I'm showing his garden. And I chose him because he's also in uh, an American museum. So the idea was to show the cosmopolitan aspect of Marrakesh. And there's something I really don't like when, that I sometimes hear in Paris. Oh, what do you do in Marrakesh? Just like Ibiza or Saint-Tropez, just a place where people party all the time. And this bothers me immensely because it is great that this can exist for some people, but this is not what Marrakesh is about. There's a very rich culture here and there's a rich architecture, there's incredible crafts. And what is also remarkable is that it's probably one of the, the only place in the world where an architecture and interior design things which were made in the middle age can be done today. And it can be done today because there was never an interruption in the flow, you mm. see? Because everything has been passed since the middle age from father to son, and we still have this incredible knowledge that you see at the Royal Mansour, for example. The one of the gardens that I love, love in the book is uh, Sadek Tazi's, that magnificent garden inspired by the, the Marsh, Arabs. Marsh Arabs. I've never seen anything like that. It, it was, and that was one of those huge surprises that your book brings is, is this garden that is, is a marsh with these yes. wonderful woven grass structures within yes. it. So Sadek is a Sir Moroccan who's, who no one can be more cosmopolitan than him. And by coincidence, we were having dinner last night together and he, I showed him the only copy of the book I have. And we were discussing about all of this last night. Yes, so you know, the story of the Marsh Arabs is very symbolic of the disappearance of a culture because here you had these incredible, very old, I mean, like they, before Christ, they were living along the marsh of the Iraq uh, river, Euphrates, you say Euphrates? Mm -hmm. The Euphrates, yes. Yeah, Euphrates. And um, they were living off the water, by the water, eating fish and building their house in all these reeds. And it's like, you, when you see the photos of that, um, of the marsh civilization, you feel that Moses is in his little basket on the water, flowing down. Right. Yeah. And so uh, apparently what happened is that when Saddam Hussein came to power, on his way to power, they never paid allegiance to him because they were not people in politics. This is what I read about them. Mm -hmm. And they just wanted to have their life independently from anything which was happening in the world. So to, in a way, punish them, he had the water be détourné. I don't know how you say this in English. They, they, they had it drained. Yes. So the civilization died. And there, I think there are very few left. And then to see Mr. Tazi recreate this loss. It's, it's a very poignant garden because one thinks of Marakshi gardens as like Villa Waziz and um, the Jardin Macherel um, as very exuberant uh, expressions of color and pattern and um, light, the splintering of light through trees, whereas the Tazi garden is just this poetic exploration of 
movement of wind of yeah. water rippling yes. it's it, it's it's very poetic and quite startling to see yes it is. yes and his daughters you know they they sleep there sometimes it's there as part of the house life you know it's not like sometimes you put a sculpture in the garden they have really integrated this beauty into their life that's the one thing I, I i do like about the about the book and what it shows is that incredible integration of art architecture decoration color whether it's a very modern looking house or whether it's a much more traditional looking interior they're all of a piece and they don't necessarily reflect anybody else's taste exactly. which is pretty powerful Exactly. And talking about contrast, you see there's a, a house, which is probably the most modern of the book, which was designed by someone called Chris Rousse. Oh, yes. Yes. So this house is the most modern in the book, but it was almost hand built. And the owner told me because it, the street is as narrow as a single bed. And he told me that 25,000 donkey trips they needed. <laughs> so the, the, you know, the donkeys with the little bags, bringing salmon, bringing, uh, you know, zelige. He said 25,000 to build the house. And it's the most modern house, but it, it was built thanks to 25,000 donkey, donkey rides. Mm. It's quite it's quite a magnificent residence because when I was looking at it, it also all of the shapes and forms are yes. traditionally Moroccan, traditionally Arabic. Um, the pointed arches, the columns, the galleries, but then within that framework, uh, Ruse has inserted all of these wonderful um, glass and metal panels that almost look Wiener Werkstatt. Um, yes. It's this yes. interesting synthesis. It's like Belgian Art Deco meets Wiener Werkstatt meets Marrakesh, which absorbs it happily. During the book, I discovered zillion stories behind, but there was no, no space in the book to put all the stories. But for example, when you enter this house, there is a magnificent, very old Venetian, kind of Venetian carriage. It's quite extraordinary. And the owner told me that he saw this in a place in the south of, south of Italy. And he was obsessed with bringing it back. And the owner, who was a, a lady from there, I don't remember if it was in Calabria or Sicily, told him she'll never sell it. And he kept on insisting every day, every day, all summer. And one day he discovered that she had a restaurant. And he went to the restaurant and the name of the restaurant was Marrakesh. Mm. <laughs> so, so he said there, he told her, there's no way I'm not going to get this carriage because this is really a sign from God, you know, and he got <laughs> <the> carriage. <laughs> I loved to, having lived in Marrakesh and lived in the Medina, um, I remember one of the decorating challenges was that the rooms traditionally tended to be so narrow and so tall and so long, trying to live in, in a space that two outstretched arms, you could go from wall to wall. And that's one of the things that delights me about the book is seeing how many people who do live within this traditional architectural 
vocabulary have made it work without knocking windows through or knocking walls down or whatever. They've just taken the traditional shape of the rooms and made it work, whatever their decorative taste is. Yes, but you see, um, this is also how you measure the age, more or less, of a house in the Medina. You, you remember I had Riyadh, called Riyadh Tamsna, yes. and there's one photo of my Riyadh there, and the, the rooms were wider. Mm. And it is because it's where the Riyadh was not as old as the one with narrow rooms, mm. because the narrow rooms, the width was decided by the beams and the side of the, 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 the lengths of the trees. Mm. And when they started using metal beams, this is when the rooms could be wider. So the more, apparently, the more the rooms are traditional shape, the, mm. the older is a house. Well, our, our rooms were clo like closets, so ours may have dated from the time of Moses. <laughs> In putting this book together, and um, what is it that you've learned about Marrakesh and its people and its style that surprises you after the years that you've lived there? Well, you know, I've never, I'm, I'm, I'm always surprised by beauty, but I'm never uh, surprised in the sense, oh my God, I didn't even think, I think that everything is possible. I just quote Vanessa, Vanessa Branson, she Who said has that, that wonderful Riyadh El Fen. Called El Fen, where we, ha we have a few photos of El Fen. And Vanessa always says that the first time she came to Morocco, uh, to Marrakesh, people would tell her, here, everything is possible, but nothing is certain. And I really, <laughs> I really think that everything is possible here. And because of that, I'm in a way never surprised. I always think that I'm going to be surprised. Let's say I'm not surprised to be surprised. That's a very exciting way to live, a very exciting way to have that permeating the culture around you. That also, that wonderful phrase I learned, that term that I learned within the first week of moving to Marrakesh was inshallah. Oh, yes, yes. God willing, which, yes. which, which lets you out of so many appointments. And <laughs> 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 will, will, will you be there for breakfast, inshallah? Um, yes. But there is that built into the culture, that, that sense of, I, I love the Who way knows? Vanessa said it, that Maybe. sense of uncertainty. Maybe. Yeah. Which yeah. I think it also is the way you approach life. It's the way you approach business in a way. I know that's probably not the most effective way to have that thought process, but there is something really beautiful about every day being God willing. Yes, yes, yes. So every day is an adventure. For me, it was living there. It is, it is. You just have to try to make it the way there's not too much uncertainty. When you run a business, you have to be a bit more in control. <laughs> yes. Now, your, your own house is in the book. Yes, my own house is in the book. And tell me and, a bit about that, because you know it's one of my favorite places in the world, because A, I love you and Gary, but thank you. I also just think your, your common interests in architecture and style and gardening and food have created this utopia within, <laughs> within a utopia, um, <laughs> which is very interesting. So could you tell us a little bit about um, Janan Tamsna? Well, um, 
Jnan, people always say, oh, it's so complicated to pronounce. So Jnan means garden, garden of paradise. And Tamsna is the name of a village not very far. So I think that this place was meant to be for many reasons. Um, so I had a first place called Dar Tamsna, mm -hmm. which really put me and, and what I was doing on the map because I started this Art de Vivre to rent through beautiful houses, which are open in 89. And Dar Tamsna became a little brand. And then I did Riyadh Tamsna, which was a concept store, which you knew. Mm -hmm. And Tamsna became this kind of, people knew, oh, that's Marianne, that's her style. So with Gary, we always said that one day we would have a place called Jnan Tamsna because the garden element it was missing in everything we were doing. And um, Riyadh Tamsna and Dar Tamsna belonged to my parents and we wanted to have a place which had gardens. For years, I was looking for a piece of land. And Gary was traveling a lot and every time he would come back, he would, I would have selected some plots and he would come and say, well, we can, we can buy this because if this plant is there, it means that the soil is full of salt. And you know, he, he would always analyze it under a botanical eye. And one day I discovered this piece of land. So imagine that for three years we have in our mind, one day we'll have a place and we'll call it Jnan Tamsna. I discovered this piece of land, which was covered with palm trees. Um, the earth here is very light, almost like color of sand. And there was a breeze and there's, it's, uh, it's not flat, you know, the mm. topography it's up and down. And you, I felt suddenly, oh my God, it's like dunes here. And then Gary came, he loved the place. He told me, I've been hugging, um, how do you say, hiking and uh, uh, jogging and biking around. I love this piece of land. I didn't know it was for sale. We managed to be able to buy it. Mm -hmm. And we, I go to sign at the deed office, at the land office. And the, the man asked me, so how are you going to call your property? And I said, Jnan Tamsna. And he said, no, no, this is not what I'm asking you. How are you going to call it? And I repeated Jnan Tamsna. And he said, well, don't you know that it has been called like this for centuries? It's the name of the place. <laughs> oh, I had it no was idea. The name. It was the name of the land. The specific plot was called Jnan Tamsna. And so it really gave me goosebumps because for three years we were dreaming one day we'll have a place and we'll call it Jnan Tamsna. So the idea was that I did the architecture by, first I had a map done of all the, the trees, and then I slid the building between the palm trees, you know, right. so you have palm trees in and out the, the main house all the time. And our personal house I built also according to the widths, measuring the widths between trees, you know. Well, it's a wonderful place and it is, it is a paradise. And Marianne, thank you very much for writing inside Marrakesh and taking all of us into a world that we dream about. And I hope that we'll all be able to visit. Yes, well, we're all waiting for you. And thank you, Mitch, for inviting me. It's a pleasure, total pleasure. Thank you. The ADS Theat is produced and edited by Diane Dragan and Emma Wurtzman. Music by Circus Marcus. All rights reserved by Condé Nast. 
To reach us about this episode or any other episodes, find us on social media at ArcDigest or email us at letters at arcdigest.com.